What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Black and Cold, a true crime podcast. I am your host, Michelle, and I am back this week with a very puzzling disappearance. Before I start, I just want to quickly say, if you are a new listener of this podcast, welcome. I really hope you enjoy it. Please remember to subscribe, leave a rating, and a review. And to all my OG listeners, continue to spread the word to whoever you know about B and C. The case I will be discussing on this episode comes out of South Carolina, when a vibrant young man just seemed to disappear without a trace after being escorted out of a nightclub. This is the vanishing of Brandon Graves. Brandon Rodriguez Graves was born on March 12, 1985. When he was a young child, he unfortunately lost his mother due to pneumonia, and he had never had a relationship with his biological father. But although this was the case, Brandon grew up surrounded by so much love. His aunt Martha German legally became his guardian after his mom's passing, and her, along with her husband Edward, officially took Brandon in as their own son. The family lived in a town called Little Rock, South Carolina. They were very close-knit, and Brandon had many cousins who were more like his siblings, not to mention he was the youngest of them all. Martha and Edward raised all of their kids under a household of faith. Every Sunday, Brandon and his cousins knew they would be going to church. So growing up, Brandon developed the nickname Peanut, which is what anyone who was close to him would call him, and he received this name because of his stature. Standing at five foot four, weighing 150 pounds, Brandon was not the tallest individual to walk in a room, but he was confident. He had a big personality, and he was outspoken, according to his loved ones. But Brandon is also described as having sort of a meek side to him, too, in addition to having a big heart. When he was younger, Martha told South Carolina Now that Brandon was quiet. He never talked back to anyone in their household. He was overall respectful. As he got older, Brandon began to get very involved in sports, and he could play almost anything. He loved baseball and football specifically, and he would enjoy playing with his friends and family. Brandon even won a national title for baseball right after high school. After his high school graduation, Brandon went on to attend Morris College in Sumter, South Carolina, where he would also play baseball there. In the fall semester of 2003, he would also pledge to become a part of the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. Now, once Brandon joined this frat, he obviously made more friends, he was able to network, and he now had other guys in his life who were brothers to him. But after his freshman year at Morris in 2004, Brandon actually ended up transferring schools and he enrolled at Coastal Carolina in Conway, which is in the Myrtle Beach area. He decided to make this change because he wanted to pursue a degree in sports management. And Coastal Carolina is known to be big on sports and said to have a good program for that. 
And ideally, this worked out for Brandon because in the spring of 2008, he graduated from Coastal Carolina with a degree in recreation and sports management. He had a huge passion for sports, like he was really a fanatic. And during his time in school, this showed as eventually Brandon would put what he learned to use. Brandon was full of Coastal Carolina Chanticleer's pride, and he supported the football team a lot. He even took their losses to heart. His cousin Lamont, who was interviewed on local station News 13, said Brandon would sometimes cry when his team lost. But although he never played for the team physically, he grew to know all the players and the coaches very well. David Bennett, who was one of the coaches at the time, spoke on the series Find Our Missing, and he reflected on how forward and excited Brandon was when it came down to the team and their games. According to Coach David, the first time they met was because Brandon had actually snuck on the team's bus and he hid as they were on their way to an away game. Now, when the coach finally caught wind that Brandon, who was not a player of the team, was on this bus, he said at first he didn't even know what to do with him, like he was so confused. But because Brandon was so well-liked by many of the players, on top of that, he used to offer recommendations for plays as well as helpful insight. So because of that, the team was able to convince the coach to let Brandon stay for the ride and the game. From there, Brandon's little stunt actually ended up helping him out, and he would eventually become one of the managers slash trainers with the Chanticleers football team. After he received this new exciting gig, Brandon decided to move closer to the school, and he relocated to Myrtle Beach permanently. He started working part-time at a retail store, all while still helping out with the players. And even with all of this, Brandon was still furthering his own education, He was working on earning his master's degree from Coastal Carolina as well. So as he was settling in this new life over 70 miles away from where he grew up, Brandon still remained close to his cousins as well as Martha who raised him. As I mentioned, their family was so close to one another that distance never changed anything for them. And Brandon would go see Martha every Friday back in Little Rock. But on Friday, January 29th, Brandon actually gave Martha a call, and he told her that he was thinking about heading to his first school's Morris College's homecoming weekend. And y'all know how homecoming weekends are typically. There was going to be different festivities, sporting events, and of course, parties. Brandon was also looking forward to seeing his frat brothers, who were going to be participating in a step competition. Now, his indecisiveness did not last long because a friend of his ended up calling him that day, offering a ride to Morris with them. So Brandon spontaneously did make his way to Sumter on Saturday, January 30th, 2010. So he went with his friend and they were preparing for this fun weekend. And when he arrived to Morris, the first thing Brandon did was attend a basketball game. While he was there, he actually made a call to his cousin Lamont and told him to come through. And Lamont attended Morris College before himself, so he was already familiar with the people who were going to be there, and he made the decision to go as well. The next activity that Brandon attended was the step competition, and he was super excited when it was all over because his fraternity won the whole thing. To celebrate his frat brother's win and continue these homecoming celebrations, 
Brandon then decided to go to Sebastian's nightclub with another friend located on the 3200 block of Broad Street in Sumter. It is reported that he arrived there around 11 o'clock p.m. So now this is where this case gets a little foggy and very strange. According to this friend, reports, and other people that were there that night, shortly before midnight, Brandon was asked to leave the club because he appeared to be too intoxicated and his behavior started to get quite unruly. So he was only there for like an hour max, if you think about it. Soon after Brandon was kicked out, he tried to enter Sebastian's nightclub again, but the bouncer refused to let him in and they escorted him off the premises. The club's manager, who was outside that night, would eventually speak with local station WIS. And according to him, Brandon wasn't acting too, too out of control, but I guess the establishment just didn't want any trouble. Surveillance footage was able to capture all of these movements made by Brandon. It was seen that he was being spoken to by security while inside the club, and it then captured him outside where the bouncer walked him off the property. In the video, it appears that Brandon could be seen leaving with someone, but once he is out of the frame, no one seems to know what happened to him after, and Brandon Graves would disappear. FetList.com offers a list of soca and carnival events in the New York City area, Miami, Atlanta, and so many other places. If you and your friends have been looking for some carnival vibes lately, this is the place to find it. FetList not only provides in-person events nearby, but they also got you covered with virtual carnival experiences as well. Check out their website, www.fetlist.com today. Back in Little Rock, Brandon's loved ones had no idea of what was even taking place. So Brandon had made two last calls during the early hours the morning of January 31st, which was hours after he was last seen outside of Sebastian's nightclub. He tried to call his cousin and a friend, and the second call he made was sometime between 3.30 and 4 o'clock a.m. Now, neither one of Brandon's calls were answered, but he did leave voicemails. However, both his cousin and friend say they couldn't understand what Brandon was saying on these voicemails, and they suspect this was because he had been drinking too much. Now, later on in the day of Sunday, January 31st, Lamont received a phone call, and he was caught off guard when Brandon's friend, the one who actually drove him to Sumter for homecoming, called and asked if he had heard from Brandon. This friend was supposed to be his ride home and couldn't get in contact with him. Lamont hadn't spoken to Brandon at this point, but he was aware that he was going to Sebastian's nightclub the night before. Lamont tried to give his cousin a call, but Brandon's phone was going straight to voicemail. He then tried to call this other friend that was actually at the club with Brandon that night. And according to Lamont's interview with Find Our Missing, this dude told him that Brandon did get kicked out of the club and he figured he just went home and he didn't think twice about it. Plus, the friend hadn't heard from Brandon either at this moment in time. So at this point, Lamont is kind of concerned and he begins to blow his cousin's phone up. But he was getting nothing but Brandon's voicemail. From there, Lamont decided to notify his brother, also Brandon's cousin, Reggie. 
And to be absolutely sure about the severity of the situation and not wanting to panic any of their other family members, Lamont and Reggie decided to head to Sumter and look for Brandon themselves. They searched at Morris College and even asked people around if they had seen him, but no one did. Many of the people they did speak to, though, did confirm the story that was told by this friend that Brandon was at Sebastian's nightclub and got kicked out. Lamont and Reggie were also made aware that their cousin Peanut did not appear to be acting like his usual self that night. And after this was all told to them, they knew from there that this was a serious matter. And on February 1st, 2010, now three days after he was last seen, the brothers reached out to the Sumter County Sheriff's Office to report Brandon missing. They dreadfully had to notify the rest of their family that no one had heard from Peanut and it seemed he just vanished. Martha immediately knew this was out of Brandon's character and not speaking to any one of his family members for all of these days now was so not him. They were all so close to each other. The next day, Brandon's family all decided to go to Sumter together to look for him. And as a group, they began to retrace his steps. They ended up going to Sebastian's nightclub as that was the last place Brandon was seen by multiple people. They searched around the area looking for him or any clues they could find to lead them to him. But according to his loved ones, the family was asked to leave the property. On February 3rd, the very next day, investigators now visited Sebastian's nightclub, and the response they received was completely different. The owners cooperated, and this is where authorities were able to obtain that video surveillance, which showed Brandon's last movements. When they reviewed the footage, it wasn't clear on tape what transpired inside the nightclub, but as I mentioned, you could see Brandon was asked to leave, And after trying to get back in, you could see he was being denied and removed from the premises. And it's strange because when asked about the incident that took place inside, staff, friends, and witnesses who were all there don't even really seem to know how it came about or how it started. On February 4th, authorities on foot and in helicopters conducted a large search for Brandon Graves, which covered the area surrounding that nightclub. But after hours of looking, there was no trace of him anywhere. Investigators were said to have interviewed many of Brandon's family members and friends on top of witnesses who were there that night. And during all of this, it came out that Brandon may have been spotted leaving from Sebastian's nightclub in a white vehicle and that he went to another club named Blue Mist After. But according to reports, it doesn't seem law enforcement was able to track down these leads for confirmation. Investigators tried to trace Brandon's last two calls he made the morning of the 31st, but they were unable to determine a location. They checked his bank accounts and phone records as well, but there was no activity on them. When Martha and the rest of her family learned of this video, on top of what people were saying and the rumors, they do speculate that Brandon may have been assaulted by one of the employees of Sebastian's that night. And if that unfortunately was the case, it didn't really seem to have any connection to his vanishing at this point. So investigators and Brandon's family kind of shifted their focus to the person who was ideally last seen with him by multiple people. 
And that's this friend that was physically in the nightclub with him. So Sumter County Sheriff's Office tried to give this individual a polygraph exam, but he refused. And when Lamont learned of this, him and his family were not too happy about it. He even confronted this friend and was basically like, yo, what's up? Like, why didn't you want to take the polygraph? And according to Lamont's interview, this guy didn't really have an explanation. Brandon's family believes this is quite sus, and they think there's a possibility that he may know more than he was putting out. So Martha, too, reached out to this person, and she says she wasn't even trying to accuse him of anything. She just really wanted to know where Brandon was if he knew something. The family was dealing with so much in regards to Brandon's disappearance, and they just wanted him home. So whatever this guy could tell her, Martha wanted to know, even if it was bad, she was willing to take that risk because she wanted closure. But this friend really claimed to not know anything. He didn't say much, and Martha was left with no type of closure. The investigation into Brandon's disappearance didn't seem to really develop any type of leads or have any movement. His family expressed that they would even make the hour, hour and a half drive to Sumter every week, not only to search for Brandon, but to touch base with the sheriff's office. And they do feel that authorities weren't really trying to help much in Brandon's case, like they feel they just could have got more from them. So now feeling like they weren't a priority, at some point during the investigation, the Q Center got involved, and you guys heard me talk about them before, as well as the Black and Missing Foundation, which you guys heard me talk about before as well. And both organizations tried to help Brandon's family spread more awareness about his vanishing, as well as help them conduct additional searches. Without the help of the police, Brandon's family even offered a reward. And according to his cousin Larry, this reward was personally from them, like out of their own pockets, to anyone who could offer information. But as more years passed with nothing, Brandon's family has pretty much been perplexed by his disappearance. There was a potential sighting reported to officers that led them to a homeless shelter, but that turned out to not be Brandon. And there was also a potential tip leading investigators to use their dive team, but that turned up empty as well. One, I guess you could say, positive thing that his family was able to do throughout all of this was create a scholarship honoring Brandon's name. An article from ABC Columbia in 2017 spoke with his family members, and they reported that for the past three years, they were able to award a student with $1,000 towards their education. As mentioned, Brandon's family has their speculations, but there hasn't been enough evidence or leads to guide them to anything that could be helpful. Martha is absolutely sure that Brandon did not take off on his own, and she struggles with understanding why someone may have wanted to harm him. She expresses a lot that Brandon really had a big heart, so it's hard for her to come to terms with that if that was the case. Brandon's family, friends, and frat brothers have continued to hold vigils for him yearly. Over the many years that have passed, Sebastian's nightclub eventually did shut down and has been replaced by a local beauty supply business, I believe. 
In 2019, officially nine years after Brandon vanished, Martha told a local station that she recently received several magazines addressed to Brandon, which she thought was odd. That article goes on to say that Sumter investigators have sent subpoenas regarding this, but they haven't heard back. As the 11-year anniversary since Brandon went missing approached, with the support of her family and church congregation, Martha released 11 balloons in front of the actual church Brandon grew up in to honor him. And 11 years was 2021, y'all, so just last year. Martha still continues to hold out faith and hope that people will come forward with something. Someone knows something out there that can lead to Brandon's whereabouts. His family is just looking for closure as they haven't been the same since that day in January of 2010. In her interview with WACH, Martha said, quote, Peanut coming home would change the atmosphere of this family. Brandon's loved ones continue to bring awareness to his disappearance as it hasn't received much media coverage. And my frequent listeners will know this is one of the main reasons why I chose to do this podcast. I know some of the cases I have covered this far, you may have heard of them before, or it may have gotten more media attention than others, but these lesser known cases deserve just as much recognition. Imagine not knowing where your loved one is for years and no one seems to even know about it. How can that be productive? As long as people try to bring attention to these stories, and I've mentioned this before, there are so many podcasts, blogs, and organizations now dedicated to people of color, dedicated to the LGBTQ community, dedicated to just marginalized groups in general. Like, I came across a Spanglish true crime podcast, which was dope. So hopefully, as long as we keep these conversations going and keep saying people's names and showing their faces, we can possibly help families like Brandon's or other families who are struggling with their voices. They deserve just as much attention as the Gabby Petitos, the John Benet Ramseys, the Natalie Holloways, the victims at the hands of Ted Bundy. And it shouldn't take away from what those families have gone through whatsoever, but we know for the most part, what mainstream media has been attracted to when it comes down to these stories physically, and it shouldn't be like that. Brandon's investigation still remains open, and we have just passed the 12-year anniversary since he disappeared. It still affects his family immensely, and some members of law enforcement have even still been haunted by this case. Brandon has appeared to vanish without any type of trace, but we know this is impossible, and it only takes one person who may have heard or seen something to come forward. Anyone with information in regards to the disappearance of Brandon Rodriguez Graves is encouraged to contact the Sumter County Sheriff's Office at 803-436-2000, or you can report tips to Crime Stoppers at 888-274-6372.